I'm Jody Whites, Results and Success Coach, and these podcasts teach you how to make significant changes to live your dreams, make a positive impact on the world, and drop your regrets. It's time for you to get spectacular. Welcome back to Your Spectacular Life. I am Jody Weiss, your life and professional coach, helping you get a life that is nothing less than spectacular. I am happy to have Susan Gold on our show today. Hi, Susan. Hey, Jody. Thanks for having me. Oh, oh, thanks for being here. Let me tell you a little bit about Susan. Susan Gold is magical. Leaving her little town behind the morning after high school graduation, Susan rarely looked back. While in college as a junior at Ohio University, she created an internship in arts management, navigating her way to her dream, NYC. Her experience with performing artists like Bill T. Jones and Paul Zaloom led her into mainstream entertainment after college, first at the global talent agency ICM and later at Fox. She became known for attaching celebrity talent to projects which led her into producing for television and film and on to Los Angeles. She convinced modern art legend Andy Warhol to do an on-camera commercial for Pontiac, a talent deal American TV personality Donnie Deutsch still claims is one of his best, helped launch Fox News Channel at the request of chair Roger Ailes, and on behalf of Disney Channel persuaded A-list celebrities, including Ben Stiller, Jack Black, Taylor Swift, David Beckham, and more to be interviewed by cartoon characters Phineas and Ferb. Managing risk is her forte, and making inroads is her namesake. She's met personal and professional challenges with integrity, told in her memoir, publishing later this month. Her message inspires us to step outside our comfort zone to achieve success in all aspects of our lives. Wow, it seems like your life has been full of taking risks, going for it, and doing what you enjoy, which is art and talent and writing for TV. How, what would you, what would you say is your word that describes you even this year? Oh, definitely challenging the ordinary. I, I think just the exercise, Jody, of creating my memoir has really helped me see how the whole story just basically unfolded and the puzzle pieces fit together. Things that I thought didn't make sense did. Relationships that I thought were brutal were actually priceless. Oh. So definitely, I would say a challenger. 
great. Um, so you've been through so much. Why write a memoir? I had been encouraged. I think 2007 was the first time and it was an Irish seer. And he said, you know, you have a book to write. And I just went, oh, why would I want to go through that <laughs> kind of exercise for a simple PR tool? And I really poo-pooed it. Um, it came up again and then again. And finally, someone said, oh, no, you don't have one book to write. You have three. Oh, and my goodness. At that point, I just said, I guess I better get going. So I surrendered. <laughs> now, you're writing a memoir. What is the title of that memoir? The memoir title is Toxic Family, Transforming yes. Childhood Trauma into adult freedom and jody it wasn't my title it's my publisher's title but i'm <laughs> i'm absolutely grateful for it because it's the truth that's what the story is um it felt like i was throwing my beloved family members under the bus mm. to cause call them toxic but it's the truth it was lineages of abused and damaged children raising abused and damaged children. Mm, that is an extraordinary way to phrase dysfunction in families to children who are not yet adults, who are not yet, I'm going to say, evolved to the best of their ability, raising these children. Now, it must have took some courage to call out family members. How did you, how did you get that courage to do that? I really feel as a culture, we keep this hidden. We all pretend outside and go behind the door and then it may be a different story. Um, although I really feel my parents did absolutely the best they could and I've gotten a lot of positives as a result of being in that home. Um, they also didn't have the tools. Mm -hmm. And I just felt it was important to piece my story together to help others who may be in a similar circumstance and maybe not even realize it. Right. Now, what did you know? I love, I love going from toxicity and challenge to freedom. And it sounds like that is what you learned. Um, how did you take it step by step? Because I imagine reliving some of those challenges was very difficult. How did you soothe yourself, calm yourself, do some self-soothing, uh, talk to yourself to make it through, to write your experiences down? Well, I had done a lot of traditional therapy probably about off and on 20 years of it. Uh -huh. And although I appreciate that sort of modality, it led me full circle right to the position I started in. So what I discovered for myself was my body held memory mm. and somatic work yes. was really important. So while traditional helped me get the storyline, somatic really helped me release. 
And also to see my experience from a completely different perspective. Mm. I, I truly feel my family were all gifts as mm. were other challenging members mm. in my adulthood. Those people that really took me to task and, and allowed me to step up to prove my power as a human being were, were absolute gifts in the storyline. So give me an example of a, maybe it was your mother because we we have sometimes an easy and sometimes a fraught relationship with a mother. Give me an example how you were taken to task and claimed your power as an outcome of that interaction. Well, I mean, it started very early with my mother. She had a horrendous childhood herself. Um, and she carried that obviously into our, she was also on diet pills. It was mm. pretty normal to be prescribed speed um, as diet pills when I was growing up and she was mothering me. So you never knew what was going to come in the front door. And her persona would snap quickly because it was challenging in that she could be so loving mm. one moment and the next moment just be beating you for oh some God. small thing that you didn't really understand. And as I got older, I did keep my space until I was able to really dissect the tendrils of the yeah. relationship. And I realized we spoke a lot telepathically. We were very connected. And it wasn't until after she died, actually, that I realized that we had been doing that. Mm. But she really had so much tenacity and mm. really belief. I mean, she was a single mom before it was cool with five children um, and making it, making it happen. Yeah. And she absolutely was incredibly talented and made it work. Mm. So I'm also hearing, you know, she was a, a, a pretty um, interesting person. She had her downside. She had her upside in helping you survive. But how did you feel safe not knowing who you were going to get from moment to moment? Well, that's just it. I didn't feel safe. And it's left me with a lot of trauma and post-traumatic stress. Um, I was continually moving. Once I realized the dynamic, I tried to be perfect. I tried to make the house perfect. I tried mm. to make her happy. I did everything I could. And then that ultimately did not work and backfired. So I tried to be mom. I tried to stay out of the home as much as possible. And I took on way more than my share of responsibility. And that led me into adulthood to face down some serious issues that that brought on for me as an adult that I had to work through in order to, to garner some freedom. Because I was a performer. Mm. I was quite telepathic when I was young. Mm -hmm. And I had that ability, I had to read people to yeah. be safe. Sure. Between my mom switching and my father, who was an astrophysicist and equally as brilliant, 
but he would switch. He was an alcoholic. So you mm. never knew quite what oh, the personality no. was going to be there either. Right. So with the platform that wavy, what I learned to do was read people, read their energy and their personality and their temperament and guess it and serve it to try to find some kind of safety. And that had to be dissected into adulthood. Oh, my word. Wow, both parents. I'm sorry to hear about that. That must have been quite the juggling act. Phew. So, you know, you managed, you know, to go to college and eventually um, work with this talent agency and then uh, producing uh, for television and film in L.A. What what gave you the strength to do that? Because um, I would imagine that um, took quite a bit of um, strength to, you know, go ahead and do that and get away from them, live on your own, and then start learning how to trust people again. We learned to be independent very young, and I did leave the morning after my high school graduation. Mm -hmm. And my dream was New York City. I used to watch Barbara Walters on my beanbag chair <laughs> on my bed in my basement, and I'd be like, I want to be like that lady. So I did an internship, um, as you mentioned at the top of the show in New York City, and I made some inroads and after college got a job. Um, at a large talent agency there. And that led me on to creating my own talent brokerage firm. I actually created it because my boss was harassing me in the mm. workplace. And when I confronted him, he fired me. Oh, and my it, word. Barbara Walters was actually my exercise client. To earn money on the side, I was training Barbara. And she saw the day I showed up, she knew something had happened and she wanted to come to the office and confront this man with. <laughs> wow. Go Barbara. Did that happen? I wouldn't allow it. Um, I, I thanked her profoundly and profusely. She was a good friend mm. um, and really stood up for other women. But what I did do is I created my own agency. I couldn't work for anyone else at that point. And it was traumatizing because it echoed what was happening in my home life, all these things. Um, and my first deal was to knock on the door of the factory to convince Andy Warhol to do a commercial for Pontiac. God <laughs> forbid. He didn't want to have... Yeah, he didn't want to have anything to do with me. I, I couldn't get anybody to answer. I knocked on the factory mm. door. His manager told me, come back tomorrow. I did. He ushered me into Andy's studio. There he is, penciling with the pin spotlight on his <laughs> hair, going seven ways, and three pugs running around the studio. And he just loved these pugs. So finally, after all this yammering for me, he looks at me and says, now, why should I do this? And I said, because you can have the pugs in the shop with you. Aww. Oh, good going. You, you but, picked up on his soft spot. Yeah, so much so. But I just had an energy, a survivalist energy in me. Yeah. And it followed me. And it followed me on to L.A. But I really feel, Jody, the reason I was sent to L.A., brought to LA was to meet my biggest guru who was, who was that 
the man who would be my ex-husband. Oh, the the journey continues. Okay. (laughs) Why was he a guru and what did you learn from him? So he seemed to be everything that I thought I was lacking. He said all the things he did all the, like, it was almost like he was posing out of some Hollywood glam movie or some rom-com, you know, he just was perfect. And I fell for it hard and bit by bit, the mask started to fall. And we had a child, and that's really when I got to see the ruse behind the curtain. Um, And I wanted to have him step up with integrity. He just wouldn't. And I wanted to save our marriage. I didn't want a failed marriage. And so I got this idea that we'd have a post-nuptial agreement. And that way he would be fiscally more responsive. Absolutely. Contracts are everything in business and relationship. And what happened? We got to the final point, Jody, and he crossed his arms and Hmm. his eyes went into cold slits. And he said, I'm hiring an attorney and I'm filing for divorce. And that was the universe doing for me what I could not do mm-hmm. for myself. Mm-hmm. I think this was the ultimate lesson. It brought everything to the forefront to stand up to it. And my meditation practice, mm-hmm. my endurance athletics, um, all of it came into play mm-hmm. in order to survive that experience. My goodness. Yeah. You, you know, it's interesting when you get to that point, you really find out where another person is at, you know, are we going to sign or not? And then move on from there. So it sounded like you needed to reinvent yourself from those experiences. Uh, I love the fact that you're an endurance athlete. Tell me a little more about that. Well, honestly, it was really to to help manage some of the emotional pain that I was still carrying. And also the bar was set so high for me. So it first started with marathoning. And um, after a couple of successful marathon runs, I was prone to specific injuries. So I thought, oh, I'll spread it out into three sports and maybe that'll (laughs) take some of the onus off the body. And I became um, a highly decorated triathlete. I even Uh did escape from Alcatraz, which is Uh famous. And I thought I'd triathlon for life. Um, but the injuries caught up with me. And so then I focused on master swimming and within four years had a national ranking. Um, and it got to the point where I couldn't walk around the block. The injuries had caught up with me, but yet again, another opportunity to see how I could shift my perspective, what wasn't working was really abusing my body, like jumping into 74 degree water at 530 AM when the deck is 42 in Southern California. It's not a lot of fun. (laughs) Right. 
I was, I'm a swimmer as well. I was in at five in the morning, but the water was 81. And that's the only way I'll swim. So you went, well, you know, running, swimming. What did you find worked for you? Honestly, what worked was that when I couldn't walk around the block and had to reinvent myself, another false persona had to fall mm. by the wayside. And I really had to go within and find this poor, beaten, bloodied little one in there mm. trying so hard and desperately to be paid attention to and acknowledged and that's really when I had to start softening. Mm -hmm. And it's it's almost simultaneously with the time that I started to write the book. Oh, my goodness. And, and that is so beautiful that that you're speaking about softening, because I work with so many people, you know, leaders and business owners and it's almost like they have to harden themselves to get things done. I'm, I'm hearing this lovely switch of softening, giving yourself attention and listening to what this being in all aspects of your life have to say. Can you recommend to our listeners how that, how you can take those first steps? First, you have to acknowledge there's a human being in here and there are human beings across the desk from you, across the table, driving on the freeway. We're all one humanity and we are human beings with emotions and feelings. We're not cogs in a wheel. We're not instruments. We have feeling, we have emotion and that's the first step of surrender. Mm, that is lovely. What do you do when you find yourself in fear of going deeper and discovering that person? Well, for me, I have to breathe. And now I have the experience of knowing the richness of going into that soft space. I never really found that appealing. I just wanted to achieve to stay alive, quote unquote, or relevant. And I don't need that same relevancy. I don't need that same achievement or awards or specialness. I get it from just quietly breathing and recognizing who I am as a being and all the incredible things experiences I've had and gifts I've shared with other human beings and what a miraculous gift it is simply to be here especially in this time absolutely um you also mentioned a practice that you do and that's meditation uh, tell me a little more about that I'm really glad you asked, Jody. Um, I started meditating in New York before I moved to Los Angeles. And I just thought, what are we doing on these cushions for 
so long. I don't understand what is the importance. And my mind used to chatter, chatter, chatter. So I really was under the impression that meditation was complete silencing of the mind. And what I didn't realize was, was a lot of note noting for me. I studied the Vipassana mm. um, brand of meditation. So um, and I was very formal about it for a long, long time. I've been on silent meditation retreats and um, I did a lot of organized sits and then individual sits. Now I find it sometimes in city, but usually it's 10 minutes, but I'll really find it in nature. I'll find mm -hmm. it when I'm aware of my breath, aware of my surroundings aware of the being beside me rather than the sentence I'm going to say and reply to them. That's more my practice these days. Mm, that That's nice. And I'm, I'm hearing that the book Vipassana practice probably helped you to be where you are now, which is present and open to others. Did it help with writing the book as well, your meditation practice? Absolutely, because meditation has helped me know who I am. For so long, I was on that gerbil wheel. I just didn't stop. And honestly, for quite some time, I didn't care. I didn't know if I wanted pizza or I wanted Chinese food for, pasta, for dinner. I just didn't even have that kind of self-esteem. So it absolutely did help me gain awareness, but truly what helped me with the book, I'll just share because I have a feeling your listeners are gonna understand this. The book was an assignment initially. I forced myself to sit at my computer for 15 minutes a day, whether I had something to write or not. And it was a great way to get a first pass of a manuscript down in black and white, but I didn't feel very connected to it. So a dear friend suggested, you know, why don't you take another pass from little Susie's point of view, that little girl inside that actually has experienced all this with you. And I did. And that's when the book just turned into a connection, a flow, and a piece of beautiful brocade that I'm so grateful I have the experience of. Boy, she certainly had a lot to say, didn't she? Absolutely. And yeah, that was your connection point. That's great. Well, um, I'm going to ask one last question. And what would you recommend to our listeners who maybe want to understand themselves more deeply? Maybe there was family challenges or not, or work challenges along the way. How do they get to know themselves better? It's a hard step and it's a brave step that one takes but it's absolutely necessary if you really want to get to that point of self-love. And I did not understand that was a grand prize to really feel that self-love. And if you can stop for a moment and breathe into your being and just acknowledge your value and your worth, it will come. Hmm. 
I'm going to breathe that in, Susan. <laughs> That's lovely. Well, um, how can people get in contact with you to find out more about your book and other things that you may offer? Thank you for asking, Jody. They go to my website, which is susangold.us. That's susangold.us. Or they can send me an, an email, and that's info at susangold.us. And I'd love to connect with them. Hmm, that's great. Well, I want to thank you so very much for being very open and vulnerable in this conversation. That, um, that really came through, and I so appreciate that. It was a privilege, Jody. Thank you for what you're delivering. Thank you. All right, you take care. I'm so grateful that you've listened to the end of this podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review it, and share it with your friends. I love teaching insights so that you can have a more impactful and meaningful life. It's my mission to build a thriving community of happy, fulfilled people. Want more? Visit my website at yourspectacularlife.com.